Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Today we will continue our ongoing fixed income conversation as we have hit the halfway mark of 2023. We will largely focus on what the second half might have in store for fixed income investors, referencing the most recent fixed income strategist publication. Uh, joining me for the conversation here this morning, uh, glad to welcome the publication's lead author, Head of Taxable Fixed Income Strategy for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office, Leslie Falconio. Uh, Leslie, great to have you back here on Top of the Morning. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So, Leslie, let's begin with looking out over the next six months. From your vantage point, what does the landscape look like for fixed income investors? Any tailwinds coming with us? And what are the headwinds we should be mindful of as well? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. When we think about the first half of the year, you know, as, you know, most investors are aware, you know, a lot of street, a lot of strategists was really leaning towards a slowdown in the economy for the first half that would, you know, more than likely lead to a, a Fed pause early on and a decline in Treasury yields, particularly given the amount of increase that we saw in 2022 and also the amount of rate hikes that we saw in 2022. You know, the economy actually has proven to be the word resilient is going to, you know, going to go down in history in terms of the most popularly used word over the past, you know, six, seven months. But the economy has been resilient. It's been resilient in terms of the strength of the labor market. More importantly, it's been resilient in terms of the strength of the consumer. And there's been an obvious um, underestimating of the amount of cushion, both fiscal and monetary, that the consumer still had, uh, which really allowed them to be a bit more impervious to rising interest rates. And, and some of those the interest rates that we've seen, which have risen, whether it's a mortgage rate or an auto car loan or what you're paying at the grocery store, you know, really didn't have the headwind to the consumer than what was expected to lead to a bit lower in consumer demand. Um, and also, as we know, the labor market still remains, you know, very strong. So as we sort of reach now in terms of the latter part of the year, as we know, there's a lag in terms of when the Fed hikes and when it seeps into the economy, because of this cushion that the consumer has, the lag might be a little bit longer than maybe history dictates, which could be anywhere from, you know, nine to, you know, 15 months. But I think that as we move forward, now that we're seeing um, inflation come down, um, now that we're seeing the labor force very strong, but, you know, you're starting to see, like, for example, last Friday's non-farm payroll was the first time in about 15 months that, you know, consensus overestimated. Um, the amount that the actual print was because we've had such strong, uh, such a strong labor market. So, you know, part of the talent I think will be over the next six months is going to be about the fact of having the Fed, you know, now pause and most likely in July, maintain the higher for longer stance, which the market is now pricing in and really have sectors with that offer really great yields, such as higher high-quality fixed income that you can lock in anywhere from, you know, 55 to 7.5%, you know, be able to really be that tailwind to, to carry overall. Now, the headwind, Dan, would be if, in fact, as we see the, you know, these year-over-year declines in things like CPI and inflation coming down, if, in fact, there's some sort of re- reacceleration. If there is a reacceleration that, gives the Fed a little bit of discomfort, whether it's because home price appreciation is moving higher. There's a really big recovery in the you know housing market because of the supply and demand imbalance. Anything that gives the Fed this angst that inflation starting to move up and it's starting, starting to move further away from the target, which in turn 
puts them back on the hiking path later in the year, that would cause some anxiety in the fixed income market, both, both on a volatility perspective, but also in terms of rising interest rates. Leslie, maybe we can run a bit further with the Fed to tie in the title of the fizz, that being anticipation. There is, of course, as we've spoken about prior, a lot of anticipation over how monetary policy might progress over the second half. You mentioned we're coming off that June skip. We have the next policy meeting coming up in just a week's time. What are CIO's expectations for this upcoming July meeting, and what might we see from the Fed through the balance of 2023? Well, I mean, I think that, you know, right now, if we look at what the market's projecting, it's about a 95% chance that the Fed moves that 25 basis point. And then we have a tendency to agree with that. I mean, historically, when the market gives the Fed, well, under, under times like these, when you're having this, you know, what we call anticipation, everyone's waiting for, you know, this recession, which has yet to really rear its head. Um, you know, when you have uh, this kind of this high probability of a hike, the Fed normally is going to take the opportunity particularly given the fact that the labor market remains strong. And yes, inflation is falling, but it's real too early to really come to a conclusion in terms that we're really you know, past these major hurdles and we're going to be trending towards their target of 2%. Not in, we're not going to reach it in 23, but hopefully in 24. So I do think that they will, we do think they're going to go 25, but I think that the important part of this is, is and it took a, the market a very long time to recalibrate in terms because they were convinced the Fed was just making a mistake until the, the debt approved differently, given the resilience that we've seen, um, that, you know, it's a higher for longer. So that's what we're looking so for. So the market is now saying, okay, you're going to go 25 basis points again in July. You go from five, five and a quarter to five and a quarter, five and a half, and then you're going to stay there. And that's the key. So the key is that the market is now saying, okay, the economy is resilient enough where we're going to keep this higher for longer. But really what it's done is that it's pushed out the easing into 2024. And after the recent CPI number, which, you know, was, was the market viewed as favorable as they did PPI and part the PCE as well, is that now it's saying, okay, you know, you're, you're going to start easing, you know, in say a January, March framework. And therefore, you're going to ease, and then you're going to ease consecutive times throughout 2024. And that is really what the market will focus on now. Okay, the market is adjusted to the higher for longer. We agree with the higher for longer for 2023, assuming there's not some catalyst in the second half of the year, like you know, consecutive negative payroll. But now the market's going to say, okay, you've got all this easing priced in 2024. Should you really have all that easing? And I think it's we're going to have to wait to the data uh, in terms of the latter part of the year to see how, you know, what inflation does come down and if it continuously can, comes down, right? Because it's not just about the absolute level, it's about that change, that delta. If it continuously comes down and also to make sure there is, you know, with this lag impact of higher Fed funds rate that we've seen over the past year, that doesn't start to rear its head in a negative way. So those are the kinds of sort of issues that we're going to have in the second half of the year. But I'm confident what the market is pricing. And now that's our view, that they don't move, they don't ease this year. But the question becomes the amount of easing that they're priced in in 2024 may be a little bit too dovish. But unfortunately, we won't know that until we get more data. In consideration, Leslie, of where the market stands today, combined with those headwinds you shared with us in terms of positioning, what in your view will drive return and where does opportunity exist at the moment for fixed income investors? How should they be positioning? 
Well, you know, here's the interesting thing, Dan. We always there's this big debate: Howard hard landing or soft landing? Hard landing or soft landing? Right? But when you look historically, right, and this has been something that we wrote about, you know, we, we spoke about in this month's fizz. We actually spent a lot of time on it in last month's fizz. Um, you know, when, when we when you think about hard landing, soft landing, that's what everyone's been talking about. However, historically, when we look, when the Fed pauses, right, even during those times where you had you know, those, those few times where you end up heading a soft landing or there's 84 or 95 when they hike, 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 and you end up actually, you know, ha- having a soft landing. Um, either way, soft landing, hard landing, when the Fed pauses um, and you move, you know, maybe you look forward, maybe a year out, year and a half out, fixed income really has a tendency to outperform, particularly those in that are embedded in cash or T-bills or anything that understandably now, because of the shape of the yield curve, might look incredibly attractive. Whether it's a hard or soft landing, two years out, you know, locking in, you're actually, the, the fixed income side actually does very well. And that's our, that's our key now. We do think that fixed income continues to do well. We do think that now, you know, it is a time to lock in opportunity. And we said this all year, you want to be opportunistic about it. There's no reason to chase markets. We said this even during back the time of financial instability in March when the 10-year Treasury yield got to three and a quarter and everyone was labeling it as a crisis, quote unquote. We, we, do, we do not chase those markets. Actually, we were selling during that time. And then as yields rose to around, first, first was 390, 395, and then again at 380, then we went back up to 390, 395 in 10-year yield, you start to lock in. Right, I want, I want, I want it to lock in this carry. I want to lock in this tailwind that I'm going to have going forward, because more than likely the Fed is at the end of the cycle. We think July will be the last one, right? We think July hike, and then you hold, and over time yields will come down. Now, what we've seen here, which has been a bit of an anomaly, right? Particularly when we look at the performance of the equity market, is that spread product risk assets spreads have tightened, tightened a tremendous amount. So when we think about like one of our preferred sectors that are investment grade corporates, you know at 125, 128 off the curve and spread, historically you're only at the 40th percentile. No one would pound their fist and say this is a cheap asset class. You wouldn't. So what we're so when we think about that sector going forward, what we're looking for is the fact that it is high quality. It's offering me a 5.7 percent yield, and that embedded interest rate risk will be a great talent to return as yields come down at the second part of the year and into 2024. We're not looking for big spread compression. Now, there's two other sectors that we really like in terms of the carry and spread compression. That's going to be in the preferred sector, which we know has is one of our sectors that are a combination of high quality, but also with that, you know, a little bit more risk component to it. So this is where we balanced out our higher quality a- assets with, you know, the IG and the agency MBS, which is one of our favorite asset classes. That's AAA. We balanced that risk out, which is taking a little bit more embedded credit risk by going in the preferred side. So that's really where we've, we've seen our biggest, biggest, I think, contributors. Some are going to be strictly on yield and higher quality. You're not, we're not concerned about an erosion of principal there from defaults in some sectors. And others are simply because they still offer great relative value, like, such as things like preferreds. But as we move forward, I think that, you know, there's, there's a lot of unknowns here. And I think one thing that we've learned through this process is, and I, and I know people don't like to say it, but it's, it, it's true, this time is different. And a lot of these historical models that people look at just aren't producing, you know, what they once did because of the amount of stimulus that was injected into the system back in during the COVID time, both fiscal and monetary. As that wanes, 
a couple of years, you'll start to normalize again. Leslie, as always, thank you for your time and for joining us here on Top of the Morning to keep our listeners, our clients informed on CIO's latest thinking and positioning guidance when it comes to fixed income. A lot of topics here we'll be following in the months to come and do look forward to many follow-up conversations ahead, though. Thank you again, Leslie, for your time today. Appreciate it, as always. Thanks, Dan. Have a great day. Likewise. Thank you, Leslie. Again, we have been joined by Leslie Falconio, Head of Taxable Fixed Income Strategy for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. For our listeners, our clients, we have been again making reference to the latest Fixed Income Strategist publication, a mid-year outlook. That title is Anticipation for Clients of UBS. Please reach out to your UBS financial advisor if you would like to receive a copy directly. Uh, The publication can also be located now up on UBS.com. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.